0: IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we talk about new albums by Anoni and PJ Harvey. My name is Stephen Hayden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. I'm recording for real this time, I promise you. Ian Cohen, Ian, how are you?
1: I mean, uh, would I have preferred that our last episode be, you know, presented as it was recorded? Absolutely, but I think, like, I, I was like, it was really heartwarming to see the response. Like, it, 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 like, our absence made the hearts of our listeners grow fonder, and I'm like wondering if we took our yes. first step towards like, full automation. Because, like, I, it looked like people were, like, kind of coming up with their own version of IndieCast. I was thinking of the time, like, uh, a few years back, like, Pup made a video for their song, uh, Free At Last, where they sent out the chords and the lyrics to fans who have not heard the song and asked them to, like, make a song how they think it went. And there was, like, a boy band version, like, a K-pop version. And I wonder, you know, like, when when the time comes when we have, like, a, just a dead week, we send an outline out to our fans and see if they can come up with like a fake indie cast on their own. Yeah, we could do that. You know, I think the
0: thing about it is, you know, you think about the great lost albums (laughs) in history. You think about like Smile by the Beach Boys and obviously that's been released. There's been outtakes. Uh, Brian Wilson like re-recorded some stuff so we know what those songs sound like. But part of the appeal of Smile for a long time was that people were like Brian Wilson recorded this masterpiece and we can't hear it. And it becomes this album that you can imagine in your mind that it's always going to be better than anything that would actually exist. So that happened mm-hmm. for us last week. I think it's better that it wasn't released. Because quite frankly, I think it was a good episode. I think we had you know, some, some laughs. Yeah. It was a good time recording it. But if we were going to lose an episode, that was the one <laughs> to lose. Uh, because we're in early July. Uh there's not a lot to talk about. It it is so dead this time of the year. If if memory serves cuz I I honestly don't remember really what what we t- what we talked about. I know we filled an hour <laughs> somehow. But I know I know that like 10 minutes of that at least was us talking about joining Blue Sky. Yes. Which which already seems like something we would have done in like 2018.
1: We're going to have like a a category at the end of the year for most memory-hold social media sites. Oh,
0: yeah, Blue Sky, they had like two days. And look, (laughs) I'm I'm not going to get sucked into another Blue Sky conversation because I feel like we talked too long about it in our last episode. But they had like two days, and then Zuckerberg drops Threads, which I'm committing myself to not joining. I'm going to try really hard not to join. Have you joined Threads?
1: Um, I, 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 like did, so I, you know, I entered, uh, I entered it in, like, I haven't posted anything on there, but when so everyone joined. said, I joined. joined, okay. And when, when everyone said, I like says, how you were hedging like, there a little bit. Like you didn't want to admit that you joined threads. You're like, well, I've, <laughs> I've not looked at it since, uh, it's <laughs> like the, like everything you've heard about it being like the worst parts of Twitter combined with the worst parts of Facebook is absolutely true. Like you, you cannot like all the bad shit you've heard about has not been overstated. I mean, look, I'm going to end up joining this thing. I know I am. <laughs> I'm 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 just relishing the
0: moment right now where I get to feel superior and I get to say I'm not joining threads. I know I may have already joined threads by the time this posts. You know, I I I I don't have a lot of faith in my ability to uh you know, have the willpower to not join the next stupid Twitter knockoff that gets introduced. I'm going to join every single one of them. But like in the meantime, while I do have the willpower not to join, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy that.
1: Um, There's a good chance you might have like joined it by accident.
0: What do you mean? Like, (laughs) like I blacked out, I blacked out last night and I joined threads. No,
1: (laughs) like you you click on Instagram or you just like mindlessly just um, like answer this email and all of a sudden you're on threads. It's, it's like that kind of place. Oh, my God.
0: Well, like I said, I'm going to end up joining this probably eventually. But for now, I'm enjoying not being on threads. Um, I want to ask you about this thing. There's, there's this trend going on right now. It's a hot new trend. Although maybe it's not totally new, but it feels very of the moment right now. Have you noticed that there's been a run of stories lately about pop stars being hit in the face
1: with flying objects? At yeah, concerts. <laughs> if not the face, like somewhere, and it's all yeah. I mean, I was wondering. Like if- Harry
0: Styles got hit in the face this week. Uh, I don't know what he got hit with, but he got hit in the face. Mm. Uh, uh, BB Rexa got hit in the face with a phone. Uh, I think that was like a week or two ago. Yeah, uh, Pink, uh, iconic pop singer Pink. Uh, she got hit in the face. This is like the strangest one. She got hit in the face with. A fan's mother's ashes. It's like Big
1: Lebowski style, <laughs> or Death Cab styrofoam plates. Uh yeah, wow. Like, okay, the, the, the last one like kind of makes sense to me. Like, not makes sense. Like, oh, I would under, I could understand perhaps the impulse by like why someone might do that. But yeah, there's like two. It main was like type. the mother's
0: wishes. Like, I want to yeah. be, I want to live on Pink's face. <laughs>
1: So take me to a show. Uh, How do you get that in? Like, I can't take I can't take shit into like a concert like that. How do you get that in there? Well, you can't.
0: There's no metal detector for ashes, you know. So you could just uh, you know put it in your sock or something and and yes. get it in. Pre- I mean, if you can sneak, you know, people sneak like you know like weed pipes in. So you can sneak in uh, ashes. mother's ashes. Yeah, Like Easily enough. But I just wonder, like, if you're in the crowd and you look over at the person next to you and they're holding, like, a baggie of ashes and they're, like, winding up to throw at the stage, are you obligated as a fan of the artist to be, like, a Secret Service agent (laughs) and, like, tackle that person before they have the chance to distribute their parents' remains on the face of your favorite pop singer? I mean, is, is that something... That you is that like a good Samaritan type situation that you have to interfere?
1: I I just the the logistics behind this entire phenomenon are just completely incomprehensible to me to begin with. I mean, like there's so much weird concert stuff. Like I would say that like anywhere from twenty five to forty percent of like you know sticky news of late is either. Uh, pop star gets stuff thrown at them or like pop star like says don't throw stuff at me and we can usually <laughs> track like we, we can chalk most of this stuff up to like oh like it's generational or like pandemic based but i cannot figure out for the life of me where like how throwing stuff on stage at artists you actually like became a thing because phones are expensive
0: yeah, you know? yeah the, the phone thing it blows me away. Uh you're really showing your privilege there, uh, mm-hmm. audience member. <laughs> you're throwing phones at people. It's like, okay, we get it, you're rich. You can just throw your phone at BB Rexa. The the person who threw the phone at BB Rexa, like, was interviewed and mm-hmm. he said that he thought it would be funny to throw a phone at <laughs> BB Rexa. Uh and
1: that's like, is it a burner it. phone? Like or is it hit, or is it their like real cell phone? Like you just get like, a know. bunch of I'm getting a bunch of burners to go to the Baby Rexha show. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he's... Because he pleaded not guilty, too. I don't know what he said. Like, I don't know what the not guilty... Like, what's like your Zaprude, defense? The a pruder film type shit. Like, you know, lone phone thrower on the on the grassy knoll. Lot. Well, I think he admitted doing it, though.
0: Because he said, I thought it would be funny oh. to throw the phone. So, like, is the defense then going to be, like, we will prove in a court of law that throwing a phone at BB Rexha is funny? And if it is, then I, I am not guilty of of this crime. I mean, because he admitted it, so he is right. guilty of throwing it. But instead of the the insanity defense, it's going to be like it's it's funny defense, I guess.
1: Um, yeah, it's 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 the bare naked ladies defense because you know the, their whole. Am I remembering correctly? Like that, their fans threw like boxes of Kraft mac and cheese at them, and that was like supposed to be funny. Am I like I figure you. I'm not. I'm not going to Google this because I don't want to ruin this possibly fake memory. But that that was a thing, right?
0: Uh that sounds vaguely. Is that like related to a song? Is there? A I song think it like, is.
1: I think it is. Okay, like where like, they. If I had a million dollars, I'd. buy... I think it's a different bare naked. I think it's the other bacon. I think it's the other bare naked. Li- I think it's like pre. If I had a million dollars, or Brian will. Okay, I'm gonna stop right now because if I'm we I'm laying ba- in
0: bed. Just like Brian Wilson, dead. I, I, oh, that's I a am horrible so, song.
1: Yeah, like one of the worst fucking bands that <laughs> ever exists. I, 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 will not defend one week. I will not defend uh, any of that. Like one awful. of the worst fucking bands that ever exists. So I want to just, wanna just voice. Stop. yeah, the, just the, the entire existence. Ladies. Oh my! I'm just thinking I'm of the lying Gordon and
0: Bed. Just, I'm just like thinking of the, Brian Gordon, Wilson the Gordon, dead.
1: album cover. Like this is somehow like burned into my memory. Uh, yeah, it's awful. Just, the worst ah oh, the fucking worst man well
0: i think like the most notable story in my mind of someone throwing something at stage on stage is uh david bowie hmm? i think it was 03 and i think he was like in denmark or something and someone threw like a lollipop at him huh. and it got and it got stuck in his eye like you can go online and google like there's a photo of like this like it's like stuck in his eyelid huh and uh i believe that was on his last tour like he didn't do a tour after that, and I wonder how much did the sucker incident play into his decision not to tour anymore. It's like I'm David Bowie. I don't
1: need this I'm, shit. I'm,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm Ziggy Stardust. You're throwing stuff at me. Like I'm David Bowie. So it's like not even David Bowie was safe. So I, to me, that's like the ultimate example. Like maybe like if you love Harry Styles, maybe he's not going to tour anymore because he threw s- something at him. You know, or like may- you got to may- keep
1: that in mind. Maybe he he like engineered that because maybe like you know his whole thing is like wanting to be compared to David Bowie, so you know like I I'm I'm, I'm, I'm there, there's cap in here like I I think that this is like a false flag. Yeah, that's a good theory. I like that. I, you know,
0: I mean, people keep saying like, well, this is happening because of, of of COVID. Like we were in lockdown and people don't know how to act anymore. And it that's such a convenient theory that I'm inclined to be skeptical of it. Like, is there an equivalent of this elsewhere? Like, are people pulling down their pants in restaurants because they don't know how to eat in public anymore? I mean, like, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if at some point we're going to discover that there's like an underground TikTok trend. Right. Where it's encouraging people to throw stuff. It's always you know? that, isn't it? Or like some Reddit thing or 4chan thing, you know, like... I feel Threads. Like... This is
1: what's popping in threads. If you get on <laughs> threads, you will find the genesis of this entire phenomenon. I just feel like you, we don't know the whole story here because I don't know.
0: I It's such a... Because it's like, okay, COVID was destabilizing, but it's like people now think you can just throw stuff at people? Like, I don't understand. That seems like a bridge too far. Like, I understand... Like, to me, it makes more sense that theory like why people won't shut up at concerts
1: yeah that know? that makes sense to me or like you know run me over with a truck or you know just <laughs> making weird like moshing at weird times like that stuff to me is a sign of social awkwardness like that right. part i got
0: you know i was thinking about just this historically you know people throwing stuff at at shows one thing that i think used to be common that isn't common anymore is people lighting firecrackers <laughs> At concerts. And I, and I know this because I listen to a lot of bootlegs, live bootlegs from the 70s. And if you, li- like, if you listen to like the Grateful Dead or Bruce Springsteen or you know anyone from that era, oftentimes you will hear them stop the show and admonish the crowd for bringing firecrackers. Huh. Uh, Like like there's this famous I think it's the Cleveland '78 show with Springsteen. (laughs) Although there's a bunch there's a bunch of them though. Like where Bruce stops the show and he's just like, "Can you not throw firecrackers here?" You know, and he's just exasperated. He's almost like begging people, "Do not throw firecrackers." So like when when I listen to that, I think, "Well, okay, as annoying as this is now, at least people aren't you know throwing combustible." Objects on stage. Like, like, in a way, it was maybe worse in the past than it is yeah. now. It's I'm like,
1: saying. yeah, it's like when you hear about like old school, like, you know, 1890s college footballs, like, oh, five people died this year on the field, you know? <laughs> in the 70s, people like would go into the concerts and they bring like, you could bring like a 12 pack of beer, like, and like five packs of cowboy killers and like firecrackers. And that yeah. was what it was like to see a Bruce Springsteen concert. And that whole thing cost maybe like five bucks. Yeah, I think you could even, like, stab people, and they didn't
0: care. (laughs) Like, in 78, you could just, like, stab someone in the parking lot, and as long as they didn't die, it was fine, you know? Like, if they didn't bleed out completely, it was legal in 78. Uh, So things are better in that regard now. Um, Let's talk about the new Anoni album. It came out last week. Uh, It's called My Back Was a Bridge for You to Cross. This is the first album... From in six years she's back with her backing band the johnsons for the first mm-hmm. time in 13 years and this is a very critically acclaimed record it actually got me thinking about the album of the year conversation because now we're in the second half officially of 2023 looking ahead to like what other albums are going to be in contention for album of the year you know and i think if you look at the first half of the year in terms of the consensus, it seems like you got the boy genius record, mm-hmm. Caroline Polachek. Certainly on Metacritic, those are like two of the highest rated records. They seem like they're going to be in the hunt for the album of the year uh, crown. Uh, I think Wednesday, when we talk about indie rock records, that's come up a lot. Yeah, is not even
1: close. Like Wednesday is like so far ahead of. Any indie like coding album, I i just can't even think of what number two would be.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, especially in terms of like records with legs, you know, yes. an album that you know, I think that came out in April, and it, it's it, it Wednesday's on tour right now, and mm-hmm. so they've been getting another wave of of, of goodwill. We're going to talk about Wednesday actually in our mailbag segment, so we'll talk more about the tour there. Um, but before we talk about like the album of the year conversation and where this Anoni record fits in with that, I, I want to talk to you about something. Because, <laughs> you know, look, we, we talk about music on this show, but we end up always also talking about the conversation about music and how that sometimes informs uh how we think about it it's often against our will but you know <laughs> when you're in this business and you're being inundated constantly with other people's opinions it can't help but interfere with your own experience and times of listening to music and with this album you know i feel like it's a really good example of how sometimes music writers do artists a disservice by talking about a record almost like it's a charity like, it's the Red Cross. Hmm. Like, this is something you should support because it's doing good in the world. Not because it's entertaining or because you're going to enjoy listening to it, but because it's good for you. And, you know, I, I was reading a little bit about this record, and it seemed like a lot of the things I was reading were talking about the themes of the album. Uh, you know, this is an album about grief. This is an album about inequality. This is an album about climate change very message forward in a way that made it seem dry. And I was like, am I going to enjoy this record? Like I've enjoyed what she's done in the past, but I I don't know. This seems like a little self-serious. I don't know if this is going to be connecting with me. And then I actually listened to the record and it really took me back because musically, this is like a really accessible sort of like soulful record. Like the two things that jump out to me about this album are, Well, number one, of course, Anoni's voice, which is like this totally unique instrument that on one hand feels classic and sort of like a Torch Singer, Nina Simone kind of way, but also totally distinctive and modern. Like you hear that voice and you know who it is immediately. So the voice jumps out. And the other thing is like the aesthetic of the record, which is this very kind of throwback soul type album. It feels like a lost classic from this from the 70s like the like the marvin Gaye record that you have always read about but you haven't actually heard you know (laughs) right and um but also it doesn't fall into the trappings of like a lot of retro soul records where you feel like oh they're trying really hard to sound like something from the 70s and it ends up being a little cheesy yeah and this record doesn't have that at all and it's just interesting to me like I think the best parts of this record are musical. And yet I feel like those always, as, as often the case in conversations about music, like the music gets marginalized because it's easier to write about these sort of more thematic or identity-based things. And I just feel like with this record it did, it, 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 that's kind of a disservice because it's actually like a much more kind of, I don't know if fun is the right word, but <laughs> certainly accessible and very sort of like listenable type record that it is
1: yeah i mean i think we one of the constant themes of this show is that there's like two tracks of you know music conversation or music enjoyment there's the narrative that like and look i've been there i'm a writer i gotta find something that makes it interesting for me to write about and um you know i do it's not that i don't believe that the themes of like climate change it's always climate change isn't it uh, <laughs> right. and like, you know, I meant, saw in the New York times, like future feminism. Like, I feel like that stuff is indeed very important. I don't think people are making it up. Um, but I do I think in some ways it, I don't want to say sells it short, but it kind of limits like the possible engagement of the music. Cause I listen, you know, I, my contempt prior to investigation of this record was like sky high because I think hopelessness was one of the most like overrated albums of the past decade. Like I was excited about Hearing Anoni work with one or tricks point never and go listen to Obama. It's a song called Obama. And you know, it's kind of thematically on point, but like some of this stuff is just like incredibly cringe, does not hold up in my view. But um yeah, I listened to the record and I was like surprised by how accessible it is and how emotionally accessible it is as well. Because, you know, this album. The great thing about Anoni is that their voice like they have this authority about them. It's very operatic um and it just tackles like the biggest themes imaginable and so i think that a casual listener can come into this you know not being super online and still find something to enjoy about it and i do like how there's like this throwback soul sound without doing like that bruno mars or silk sonic or leon bridges type thing where it's like that commercial i see on streaming it's like you know the sound of an old vinyl our whiskeys like that. Um, I can't remember what brand it is, but um, yeah, I, I think that this record is again, like I don't knock any writer for finding a way to get a bag from this, you know, like I've done it. We all do it, but um, yeah, I, I like this. album like way more than like my own little bullshit narrative in my own head would allow me to believe. But I mean, do we, do we think this is like something that's going to be in the running for, I mean, know, 2023 album of the year?
0: Yeah, I, before I get to that, I just want to say quick, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not knocking anyone either. I I think this is just more of a lament in general about conversations about music being very academic. Yeah, which is a trend I I hate. Mm-hmm. And I wish that it was couched more in like sort of like a more emotional or soulful language than I feel like music gets talked about now. I, I, I think it's very pedantic and dry and uh, over intellectualized and I, I think like with a record like this, again, like it's the emotional qualities that uh, really translate more than I think some of the intellectual underpinnings of some of the songs. I mean I, and I think that's true in general with a lot of records that yeah. if you're going to records for ideas. It's not really the best place to go. It's more about expressing ideas in a in a musical and emotional way. Like, it, things that transcend language is, like, where I think musical artists thrive. They're, yeah. You know, sort of expressing something like a college professor would. You know, like, that's not really something you want from music. And I feel like that's how it often gets discussed. And it, it it's not the best way to go, in my opinion. I actually think this will be in the running for Album of the I mean, like, when we talk about Album of the Year, you know... There is like the crown, of course, the consensus number one. But I, to I, I think I'm talking more broadly here in terms of like, will this be in the top ten mm-hmm. for a lot of people? And I think it will be.
1: Yeah, this this strikes me as something that's you know Anoni is kind of legacy. Uh, you know, it's been around for a while, and you know probably has their critical cachet had peaked previously. I think this is like the no everyone's number six. This, that feels right to me. Like it, it doesn't feel like the one that like is going to carry a publication, but it's, it's, it's a solid number six.
0: You know, looking ahead, you know, I was looking at like the release schedule, uh, for the rest of the year. And obviously it's going to get filled in a lot over the next couple months in terms of like what's coming out in the fall. Uh, And I, just yesterday, I got an album from a high-profile band that I'm sure we'll be talking about on this show that, you know, it hasn't been announced yet, but that'll probably be in the mix (laughs)
1: uh,
0: when that gets announced. But um, I don't know, I was like trying to think of like kind of big-ticket records, because those do get announced like a little bit more in advance, and I was coming up like a little bit empty, like I was thinking about records that I'm excited about, that I've either already heard or i'm anticipating like on the and these are all on the indie side but like the new rat boys record uh coming out in august i think is really strong uh this band slow pulp that is now in chicago they're originally from wisconsin um their band on the rise their record was announced recently uh i'm excited to talk about that i think that's a, a, a quite good record uh this band Slaughter beach dog uh, that uh, is headed up by Jake used to be in uh, modern baseball who I think they've been building for
1: a while. Yeah. This has been going on since like quite literally before modern baseball, um, broke up. Uh, but I so, feel like yeah. they've
0: been leveling up in this new record. Uh, I'm really enjoying. I think that's going to be in the mix for me. Yeah. Craig Finn, um,
1: uh, Craig Finn gave a testimonial. So that's how you know <laughs> it's like in our wheelhouse. Um, Jeff Rosenstock has a record coming out. Uh, curious to hear
0: that. I'm, I'm guessing that there's going to be a big thief record coming. Yeah. I haven't heard any. I'm not hinting. I have not heard a word uh, about that. Confirming that.
1: Um, there's like always like rumors swirling around like Pitchfork Festival when there's like a headliner that hasn't released a record, and sometimes it's like, oh, they're going to surprise drop it this weekend. This is all based on like what Wilco did in '15. And people are saying that about like uh, big thief and or bony Bear.
0: Oh, that'd be interesting. I didn't know that they were like, who's, who's
1: playing pitchfork this year. Uh, the headliner on Friday is the smile. Um, Oh, wow. Big thief. I believe on Saturday and bony bears closing it out. Those are wow. just, those are like the headliners. Uh, but otherwise, um, yeah, always is playing, uh, Kalela. Um, my wise blood's there. I'm, uh, Perfume Genius. I'm just thinking off the dome. I'm actually going to be there this year, so so that's like a kind of an old school type yeah. lineup in a lot yeah. of ways. You've got like three down the
0: line indie rock. No, the National, no Kurt Vile, though. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, the Smile and Bunny Bear. That's are good. like. Yeah. I mean, that's like the Rolling Stones as far as like Pitchfork is concerned. I mean, like that, that's like pretty old school. Anyway. Uh there's a Zach Bryan record I think that's gonna be coming out. Like not indie rock, but uh in that Oh he Americana. was posting
1: about he was posting about front bottoms and Joyce Manor that uh, the other day. He was like, Yeah, man, I love Midwest punk. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I think I'm gonna finally s I'm gonna try to see him next month finally. I mean he's a huge star. He's huge, like,
1: yeah. Like Arena Rock. He's
0: playing uh that kind of stuff. But I was trying to think of like the big ticket stuff. And, like, we talked about this at the beginning of the year, like, the Rihanna record, which is still in the ether here. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we were predicting, like, if Rihanna drops an album, it's hers to lose in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, like, like if she gets anywhere near the mark, she's going to be in the running for the album of the year conversation. Um, but I don't know. I was kind of hard-pressed. I, I wonder, like, if it's going to be something that emerges because I don't know if
1: there's, like... Uh, the established person is going to be putting out. Oh, I disagree, one hundred percent. Who is it? I thought it was Rihanna's to lose, but now like it's obviously like Olivia Rodrigo's to lose. Like the only, like the only way I thought that this wasn't going to be like top five guarantee is if their first single was like a total flop, and people seem to like it a lot. So, um, yeah, I think. It, I I think, like, on the indie side of things, like, Jamila Woods, I feel like that's going to be a contender. That fits the mold of a lot of what critics are looking for over the past several years. Like, her albums have been really well regarded. You know, she's, like, a, like an R&B auteur from Chicago. It's, like, kind of inherently political, but still kind of up and coming enough. But, like, as far as, like, anything that could challenge, like, say, Boy Genius or Caroline Polachek, this is Olivia Rodrigo. Like... I can't imagine, a, I cannot imagine, you know, your Rolling Stones, your, you know, your pop-leaning publications not treating this like the album of 2023.
0: And you think that's going to cross over into the indie world? Too? It already has.
1: I mean, like, you look at 2021, and she was, uh, yeah, Olivia Rodrigo's album, like, was it, there was not this bifurcation of, like, pop and indie. Like, she is firmly in that world. I thought that
0: album had like some good singles that didn't hold up in the deep cuts. Like I really like the idea of her doing this like pop rocky Meatloaf sort of <laughs>
1: it's been compared the new single's been compared to Meatloaf. Well, i I was
0: talking more about her first record, like oh. <laughs> where she was doing like the uh you know, this sort of like pop punk type thing, like a modern almost like Avril Lavigne type type sound, which I I was digging that, you know i haven't i actually haven't heard that single it's like it, it sounds like
1: like meatloaf generally or like a specific meatloaf track like kind of like just meatloaf being a shorthand for there's like several movements it's like kind of rock opera uh theater kid kind of energy because like i'm glad that they left behind that pop punk 2021 sound because i haven't thought about that whole trend in a long time and boy, that was played out, so...
0: Well, is she trying to do, like, a Born to Run type thing? Because I saw an interview with her recently, like, where she was shopping for Springsteen vinyl. Like, or she bought, like, a Springsteen bootleg on vinyl. Uh, And we should ask her if he's talking about firecrackers on that on that record. I bet he is. But, yeah, um, if we
1: if we get to interview Olivia Rodrigo, like we will we will retract our no guest policy if we can talk to like Olivia Rodrigo about Cleveland '78 or whatever. The, yeah, whatever amazing. the iconic Boss Live albums are.
0: But it seemed like I just saw someone screenshotted it. It seemed like one of those vignettes that it feels like a little staged. Like yeah. okay, we're gonna make sure that she can pull this out and i think she
1: says springsteen's like my number one crush right Uh, celebrity crush and uh it's like when maddie healy like gives a shout out to this like minor ass emo band it's like this this small thing (laughs) is gonna like get me your like a lifetime of allegiance you know
0: so yeah i don't know so maybe if it sounds like meatloaf maybe she's actually doing like jungle land or, you know, Wild and the Innocent in the E Street Shuffle type thing. I have to listen to that song. Yeah. I have 57 not, Channels uh, and
1: Nothing On. That's her. That That's what she's going for. Oh, man. Well, if she if she did the Human
0: Touch yeah. record, you know, if if this is her Human Touch, I'll, I'll definitely be intrigued. All right, let's uh, talk about PJ Harvey. Uh, she also has not put out a new album in a while. Before last week, she dropped a record called Eye Inside the Old Year Dying very confusingly titled record uh what's the title of that dive record
1: is the is R? but let me tell you this is the most confused like do i capitalize is the R? like i always have trouble with whether or not to capitalize those things in album titles and they just threw every like it it was a very anti-music critic uh sort of thing very very subtle very very subtle passive aggression
0: Very anti anyone that wants to talk about that album. I because I love that record. Great. And whenever I I recommend it to people, I feel like I have to Google the title on my phone to make sure I'm saying (laughs) the right order of words in that title. It's, It's it's very illogical how it's constructed. PJ Harvey. This record isn't as extreme as that, but it brings to mind that album. Again, it's called "I Inside the Old Year Dying." This is their tenth record, first in seven years. Inspired by the epic poem that she wrote called *Orlam*.
1: Uh, have you ever written an epic poem, Ian? Uh, only, only have read. I, I only listen to albums that are inspired by epic poems. You know, I was thinking of like what other. Like I know there are other examples of it. It seems like a Nick Cave thing. Um, maybe like sort of, kind of that. Um, what's that? Mastodon album *Leviathan*. I know that. It, wait, that's *Moby Dick*. That's not an epic poem. Yeah. Fuck. no it's uh it's an epic
0: <laughs> novel not right. an epic poem you know i consider your review of childish gambino's camp to be an epic poem
1: <laughs> an uh. epic
0: poem of to, to music writing um pj harvey obviously one of the iconic uh indie rock artists of the last 30 some years and out of respect for her vaunted catalog i figured that we would uh pay her the ultimate respect by giving her the yay or nay treatment uh so yay or nay, <laughs> PJ Harvey? Where do you land?
1: Well, uh, it, it would be a lot funnier for me to just like say yay or nay with no elaboration, but um, you know, let's <laughs> let, let's show our age and talk about like the way that most of us, um, you know, who are in our like late thirties, forties, probably encountered PJ Harvey. If we weren't like at the epicenter of coolness in the indie nineties, like I remember, I saw. I'm pretty sure I saw 50 foot Queenie on Beavis and Butthead. Um, I'm yes. pretty sure I definitely heard down by the water on Y100 alongside like filter and sponge. And so that was my experience with PJ Harvey. And of course, you know, I'm like, a, am very much a cliche of like a teenage boy, like watching MTV obsessed with smashing pumpkins and Weezer. Probably could have had an easier go of things at that time. If I listened to like, you know, to bring you my love even like once, but um, like a lot of artists at that time, I mean, I, I do. I've had a very illuminating and productive experience trying to like reconsider uh, these artists outside the lens of like being a, a like a very isolated teenage boy. I mean, for for people who were like you know fo- like actual Rolling Stone writers back then, like was it weird that P J Harvey was getting any radio play at all, or like did they think she wasn't getting enough? You know what I mean, like. It's really hard to compare the 90s to now, but I mean like what what was the general vibe? I mean I think the
0: feeling then would have been that PJ Harvey you know was I think she was put on a bi- binary at that time with Alanis Morissette. You know because Alanis right. Morissette was really the biggest artist in alternative rock after the end of Nirvana. Like Jagged Little Pill, I think that record sold like 30 million copies something like that. Yeah, like one of the top of all time. Yeah, just a crazy successful record. There's like five or six singles that get spun off of that and and Alanis Morissette is so big that she spawns this subset of artists who are following in her wake, like the Meredith Brookses of the world and the Tracy Bottoms <laughs> of the world. Do oh. you remember all those artists?
1: And You're fucking right, I did. <laughs> and Alanis
0: I think you know in her time like she was i think a bit of a critical punching bag and 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 part of the you know, one of the things that was held against her was the fact that she was so big and someone like pj harvey who i think people were, like music writers were inclined to look at her as like the authentic article and Alanis as more of like the pop article you know people would have said well pj harvey des- deserves to be on the radio and not ironic and you want to know and all those songs um and of course that's changed over time i mean people have broken that down and i think rightfully so i mean the last more set was doing something very different she's working like with glenn ballard you know writing right. these big pop songs and pj harvey's working with steve albini making these like punishing heavy rock records and i know if like for me like i'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you were like i wasn't listening to pj harvey necessarily like in high school Uh, it was something I came to a little bit later, like toward the end of the nineties when, uh, I was in college and it was more, I think of like a, like she wasn't making music for teenagers. She was making music for like people in their twenties really at that time, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and like for me, like just to answer the question, I'm going to say, well, I'm doing sort of like a split answer here because (laughs) Definitely, like, her 90s work, up until Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea, gets a big yay from me. Especially Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea, which is, like, far and away, like, my favorite thing that she's ever done. Uh, To me, like, that's a record that sounds like the mature, I'm putting mature in quote marks here, like, culmination of, like, what she did on her first several records, which, again, were these, like, really kind of strong, feral brutal, really kind of tough sounding uh heavy rock records. Uh and with stories from the city, stories from the sea, it's like a little bit more refined. You could tell that, you know, she's at a maybe more grown up place in her life. That record is really interesting, like as a New York record because I, right. I I don't know if she was like living in New York at the time but it has like a New York feel to it and it comes right before all of those New York City bands really come into prominence like it came out in 2000 the year before the first strokes record and in sort of like an accidental way, it kind of like predicts a lot of that New York rock that's going to happen for the next two or three years. Like a lot of that New York rock... I thought you were about,
1: I you were about to say it predicts nine eleven. <laughs> well, no, it doesn't predict
0: nine eleven, But it, I don't know. To me, it kind of yeah. like the vibe of that record, it, it reminds me a lot of like what those New York bands did. It's like she was ahead Absolutely, of that. And yeah. it's interesting because then after that, well, 2004, she puts out Uh-huh Her, which is like this kind of scuzzy sounding rock record. But then like with White Chalk in 2007 she makes this pivot to more of like a arty experimental pop type sound and that's where she's been ever since and those records have their merits i have to say that they have not uh they haven't connected with me in the same way that her earlier stuff did and Mm -hmm. so like 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 let England Shake is like one of her most acclaimed records, like that came out I think at right. eleven. It won the Mercury that Prize. That was a big deal. It was a big deal. Yeah, that was like a big deal. And that record did not connect with me. Like mm-hmm. again, like the '90s up until Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea did. Um, I respect what she's doing. I understand the pivot because like she's not going to be able to make rid of me over and over again. Although. I would love if she, like, made another record with Steve (laughs) Albini. Like, I would be totally on board if she wanted to do, like, I'm going to go back to the early 90s and make, like, a raging guitar rock record. I think that'd be amazing. But, you know, this new record, I actually enjoy this album. Uh, I think it has enough of that early energy mixed with this, again, kind of more mature, older, kind of experimental arty uh, personality that she's developed later in her career it's enough of a mix that I feel like it makes the stuff she's doing later in her career a little bit more palatable to me. And it actually makes me want to go back to her last several records and and see if they hit different for me now than they did then. Uh, so I'm going to give her a, a, a solid yay for the 90s up until like the year 2000. And then I'm going to give her a respectful yay after that. <laughs> but, you know, in terms of like... A, Hitting my sweet spot, I guess I have to say it's. I don't want to nay P.J. Harvey. You don't want. You can't nay her, but (laughs) but it's definitely. It's like the. It's like the respectful yay
1: versus like the visceral yay, for me. Yeah, I mean, I've. I I, of course, like I came across stories from the city in 2000 because we played Good Fortune on the radio station and Tom York was on it, so of course, like you know, I'm gonna get into that, but. You know, I had never really had a deep dive in PJ, to PJ Harvey's catalog, the whole gothy, bluesy, super serious elemental rock and roll thing. Like, I mean, I think she covered Bob Dylan, referenced Elvis a lot. Like that stuff never really appealed to me in the same way that like, you know, Nick Cave is like a massive blind spot for me. Um, but with the new album, A, because I got nothing fucking better to do right now, like, um, and B, I, maybe she'd be like swans or something like that, like an artist I get into really, really late in the game because they sound nothing like they did in the 90s. Um, You know, I gave the new album a shot. It sounded interesting. Um Like it gave me that I am in the presence of art sort of uh, feeling. And if I had been really, really, um, you know, intently following her trajectory for the past 30 something years, I imagine I'd get a lot more out of it. But You know, I I think if we trace back to, hey, this is an album based on an epic poem that she wrote, I do find it a bit like impenetrable. Like, I feel like it's something to admire when I read reviews about it. I'm like, damn, I I wish I was getting that. And I think that's kind of been my experience with PJ Harvey as a whole. So I'm going to give it a yay in theory because, like, it's not the kind of artist where I read people talk about it and I feel like they're kind of trying too hard i feel like people who like pj harvey like are really being honest and really being earnest and it's like a, a respectful yay but like a not for me sort of thing i think we need to develop a third way not in yak but like just something where it's like yeah i i i believe what you're saying about this and it's perhaps not for me and i can live with that you know
0: i just would love and I don't think she has any interest in this, so it probably won't happen. but like to make the Steve Albini record again, I think that would be really cool. I think that would be like the real p j. Harvey comeback if she could get to that rid of me type sound again. i right. she was so good at that, but at the same time, you know she's doing what what she cares about. she's writing the epic poems, she's working with flood, uh you know, so good for her. she's doing what she wants to do, but there is a secret hope in me that she could go back to that just like with a really heavy rhythm section that like great Steve Albini drum sound. Yeah. Just go to electric audio in Chicago, make a record in 2 days. I
1: think that would be so cool. And <laughs> Yeah, get on the get on the Bear season 3, you know. <laughs> I mean, so
0: yeah, like Carmi can like cater her studio time, like
1: you could bring some Italian beef yeah. down there. Someone drops a fucking pan, like, when the sound gets all loud and shit. Like, uh, we're, we are, like, totally executive producing, like, uh, the tw- the uh, PJ Harvey album that comes out in 2030. Absolutely. So,
0: okay, this is not indie rock at all, but I did want to talk to you about this, because I uh, I watched the documentary about Wham! that's on Netflix. It uh, went up on uh, July 5th, I believe. And it's just called Wham!, W-H-A-M, so if you want to find it on Netflix, it's very easy to find. Directed by Chris Smith, who uh, did one of the Fire Festival documentaries, but more importantly... Oh, more importantly, okay. directed one of the greatest films of all time, as far as I'm concerned, American Movie. Uh, <laughs> with the uh, you know, 1999 uh, brilliant documentary. Uh, so it's interesting. Yeah, it was con-
1: that, that's, a, that's a Wisconsin classic, Oh my right? God.
0: That movie is like about... My life and the life of my friends, absolutely. Um, It's just amazing that he (laughs) did American Movie 99 and then about 25 years later, he's doing a documentary about Wham! uh, showing off his range there. But um, I really like this movie. I was really entertained by it. Like, I've seen some mixed reviews of it. Um, It seems like the more seriously you take Wham! the less you like this movie. And maybe... (laughs) more casual fans will like it more. I mean, I remember Wham from being a little kid and seeing them on MTV and just having really kind of formative memories of, of Wham and George Michael and how George Michael, I mean, I think he's such a fascinating guy. Like The thing about this movie is that it made me want to see like a, a really long documentary just about George Michael. And I think one's coming out. Is there? Okay. Do, like,
1: I got an email. The I think I got an email the other day about that. He's an interesting guy.
0: Very interesting guy. To, you know, ob- fascinating. Ob- obviously, like a great musician, songwriter, producer, and um, this is partly because of the age I was when his music was really popular. But the like, key was a guy who emanated a kind of dangerous sexuality. You know, mm. like where. Like, he was in this kind of kid context, but he sang about adult relationships in a way that, like, did not sugarcoat it at all. And, obviously, you get the faith and, like, I want your sex and father figure. Like, it becomes more explicit. But, like, watching this movie, I mean, it's hilarious because it's, like, him and Andrew Ridgely, they come out and they're doing, like, rap songs that are terrible, you know? And then, like, the next year... They're doing a song like "Everything She Wants," which I think is a brilliant pop song, and like great song, one of the meanest like bubblegum pop songs ever. Like, there's that line where he says, "And now, th- now you're telling me that you're having a baby. I'll tell you that I'm happy if you want me to." Like, whoa! Yeah. Imagine Harry Styles mm-hmm. singing that. Like, that is not treating people with kindness or whatever. Like, that is like to sneak that into like a pop song. That kind of like brutal adult kind of interaction, like where you're in a relationship and someone gets pregnant and you're not happy about it and you're just expressing yeah. it in unsparing terms. I think that's such a subversive, amazing thing. On top of that, just being like an incredible song.
1: I mean, that's such an angry song too. And it's on, it was It was released, I'm just looking at this now, it was released on a double A side with Last Christmas. <laughs> Like, exactly. what, what What? What? range? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Last Christmas, and then, you know, they've got
0: Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, and then they have, like, yeah. Careless Whisper, this, like, big melodramatic song that also has, like, a lot of darkness in it.
1: and Massively influential song. It, Ma- like, all that, every time you hear a saxophone in indie rock, like, it's gonna trace back to that. And
0: I don't know, I, I, I just, because we've talked about this a lot on the show, but... You know, I, I I can't help but think about pop stars now. I feel like there's so much modeling now in terms of, like, modeling good behavior, modeling, like, the best part of yourself and positivity. And, and obviously there's attributes to that. But, I, you know, as someone like George Michael, I feel like he was such a sophisticated personality, you know, that he could be this big pop star, even in the context of Wham!, which is like this... I mean, they had a great sense of humor. They were, like... You know, I think that they were sort of knowingly frivolous in a lot of ways in the way they presented themselves. Like they just mm. wanted to be fun and Right uh be very pop and bright and you know, not over intellectualize things, but even within that framework, he could smuggle in so much darkness and like again this sort of like dark uncomfortable sexuality like for me as like a seven-year-old or eight-year-old <laughs> hearing these songs like even then like it would kind of like disturb me a little bit because it was just like a picture of a world that i didn't understand but it was in this very kind of kid-friendly context so i don't know that was an amazing thing but like this movie too it makes you wish that andrew Ridgeley was your best friend Yeah, right? This movie is a commercial for Andrew Ridgely just being, like, the coolest sidekick of all time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, first off, like, Faith was the first tape my parents ever bought for me. I was, like, seven or eight, and I just remember being, like, frightened of, like, Father Figure and Monkey. Like, what the fuck were they doing buying me... I mean, obviously, because I like the song Faith. Um, But, yeah, I think... I haven't seen the reviews of this movie, so I don't really know what the narrative is. But, you know, my my initial takeaway was, like, I just wonder how much Andrew Ridgely had to do with this because not since, like, Puffy in, like, the Notorious movie has an artist come off like a better person. You know, like, Puffy was, you know, like, Barack Obama meets, like, Barry Gordy plus Quincy Jones, and he obviously had a lot to do with it. But Andrew Ridgely is, like okay, George Michael worships this guy as they're growing up and Andrew Ridgely gives him the confidence to recognize his true talent. And when it becomes clear that like George Michael needs to go solo, like Andrew Ridgely gets like, also like, let's not forget, I I didn't know this, but Andrew Ridgely apparently was like a tabloid fixture in the UK for just being way too fucking badass in public. Like he was like scoring with models and like getting drunk all the time. Uh, and then when the time comes for when to break up, he's like, yeah, super graceful and cool about it. Like, how how cool is Andrew Ridgely? Like, how good does he come off in this movie? Well,
0: exactly, because, okay, because the, the movie opens and, like, George Michael is this Greek immigrant and mm-hmm. he's awkward and he's kind of like a pudgy kid and he moves to, like, this new place and he's, in, like, the new kid in school and, like, Andrew Ridgely is this, like, Really good looking, incredibly self assured, like unpretentious guy who like takes George Michael under his wing and is like just he's like the quarterback in the school that takes like the nerd. You know, like becomes friends with the nerd. And it seems like a really unlikely like it's like why are you so nice? Like you should be a total asshole, but like you're the nicest guy (laughs) in the world. And, yeah, I mean, it, it it totally flips the narrative for that band because Andrew Ridgeley is, like, usually treated as a punchline. That, like, you watch the video for Everything She Wants, and it's George Michael doing everything, and then Ridgely comes in and goes, like, Won't you tell me? Like, that's all he does in the song. Like, just that one yeah. part. <laughs> and it's, like, totally just a... Uh, uh, it seems like a token gesture to him. But the movie does make a good case that, like, George Michael would not have had the confidence to do what he did and to also transform himself into this like amazing looking person. It's like so weird with someone like George Michael to think like he was awkward because he, I just imagine him in the 80s looking like the sexiest dude of all yeah. time. <laughs> you know, he's got like the perfect hair, the perfect stubble, he's got like the earring, leather jacket, jacket the tight yeah. jeans. You're like, "Wow, this guy is amazing looking, but <laughs> yeah.
1: And like, also that like, Oh, Andrew Ridgely was like the real like girl magnet before, right? which, you know, I mean like, obviously there's like the struggles with George Michael's sexuality, uh, that he's describing, which really powered a lot of the music. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just, th- I'm curious what the criticisms are because like, I feel like this movie doesn't go out of its way to make wham more, like socio-politically relevant than they really were. I think a lot of documentaries do that now where it's like, you'll get like the music writer talking head come on where it's like, wham, what like that bit about like the monkeys on the Simpsons, like the monkeys weren't about pop. They were about like social revolution. And uh, you know, they have such a good sense of humor about their music. I mean, how could you hear? Okay. I, I didn't, I wasn't overly familiar with like their songs prior to make it big, but like, they put, like, they put Wham Rap right out there. Like, that song is seven minutes long. And it's, like, straight up, like, my name's George Michael and I'm here to say, like, I'm from the UK in a major way type rap. I mean, like, a lot of musicians were making that song in 1982, but the, this is, like, some of the most... Like, this music is just so hilariously bad.
0: Well, and even, like, George Michael doesn't have it all together yet either. Like, he, no. he kind of looks like an awkward kid. He's got, like, the leather jacket on, but it's still like, he doesn't look as amazing as he does in, like, the Careless Whisper video, or... Which is,
1: like, a year later. Yeah, or, the, or like,
0: the Freedom. Like, Freedom's another just, like, amazing song from that time. Like, right, We, we yeah. got, like, Freedom, the Wham Freedom, and then Freedom 90, obviously, later on, uh, which is an incredible song. But, um yeah, I mean, I think the criticisms I've seen are kind of related to, like, what you're saying you're glad isn't in the movie, which is, like, the music right. critic people that would analyze the music like there's not a lot of like talk about the music in the film i mean i I think it's interesting because like one thing i've seen a bunch when people write about this documentary is that like george michael like isn't respected or that like he like he's now getting his due and (laughs) that's not true it's not true like even in the wham documentary like he like they show like george michael like a big moment for him is like he wins um an Ivor Novello, right? yeah, like the songwriting award, like from one of the music publishers,
1: and like Elton John presents it to him and calls him like one of the great songwriters of. Yeah, like he calls him like McCartney, and like, uh, yeah, like he puts him on the level of like
0: that. And obviously, there were people that didn't respect him because he was in Wham, and you know, th- there were some of those people out there. But I don't know. I think that gets like a little overstated. Uh, right. I mean, certainly, like in the years after Faith. I don't think anyone was saying, oh, that's not one of the great pop records of the 80s. Like, that's not something that people are just saying now. I mean, they they were saying that for a long time. So, I don't know. I I, I, I don't want to drift too far into the poptimism conversation here. But sometimes I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, we just discovered five years ago that pop... Like, music writers before five years ago didn't appreciate pop music. And, like, that's not true. I mean...
1: Yeah, I... Come on, they were putting out like "Wham Rap" and "Club Tropicana." I mean, these are like highly frivolous songs. Um, I, I yeah, I, I I I think that um people have trouble grasping, or at least they're in coming in bad faith, like the I the possibility that like me people might not like the most popular music on the face of the earth. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think like once his songs started becoming amazing, people recognized it. Yeah,
1: you know, like yeah, yeah. like "Wham Rap."
0: is a novelty song but freedom is like a great pop standard you know and you can't really deny that
1: yeah it doesn't retroactively like turn the songs from a what was it fantastic that record into genius like i mean like I, i i will take wham's assessment of those songs uh more than like any person who's just trying to put a thousand words together to get 200 bucks
0: all right. Well, let's get to our mailbag segment, and uh, thank you all for writing in. Uh, you can hit us up at indiecastmailbag at gmail.com. Uh, this letter, actually, we talked about in the last episode, or, or the lost last episode. <laughs> so we're gonna re- we're gonna talk about it again because we like this, this letter. This is the good
1: vibe. This is the good vibrations of like the uh, smile comparison. So, do you want to read this letter? Yeah, I do. So this is Eddie from DC. G- amazing yeah I, I just love eddie eddie from dc love eddie it, not not to be confused with eddie from ohio yeah, we, we um, don't know eddie but eddie from dc is a great <laughs> mailbag name yeah let's get some mailbag about eddie from ohio anyway uh last week i saw wednesday headline a sold out show at the black cat in dc wonderful venue vibes were great i counted two ms paint and five boy genius t-shirts people knew the words sang along and it had that feeling of this might be the last time We get to see a band in a venue this small. While I adore Carly's songwriting and how great she sounded live, I really felt like the flow of the show was disrupted by the banter between every single song. Her family was there, and they were clearly excited about the show, but it dragged a bit. At first, it was charming, but after a while, I just wanted to hear the jam. Still a great show and a great band. So, between song banter, yay, nay, or nyack? Okay, so...
0: Now, we should clarify this is from a couple weeks ago because, you know, this letter's a little bit old because it was in the last episode. Um, but because I also saw Wednesday, uh, I guess it was last month now. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so not around the same time that Eddie from DC saw his show. And I got to respectfully disagree with Eddie. Uh, I am a fan of banter um, because a lot of times when you go see bands, Unless it's a jam band or something. You know, they're doing the same set for the most part every night. Or, you know, they're maybe changing things around a little bit. But, you know, they're playing the same songs the same way night in and night out. And a lot of times the only thing that's different is the banter. So if you get somebody who's good at talking, I think it adds a lot to the show. Now, maybe we'll circle back to our conversation from earlier in the episode about how people react to banter. Uh, Mm -hmm. And... uh, I have a feeling you're going to talk about that, Ian. You know, the reaction to banter, I think, can be problematic because some people, they don't know how to take an artist talking to them. They feel like, oh, I should talk back. This is a conversation, when it's not a conversation. Like, you are there (laughs) to listen to them play songs and to hear them talk. Um, But, you know, I I like it when artists talk. And, you know, I think of, like, the great banters – banterers that i've seen over the years you know obviously robert pollard guided by voices he's (laughs) all-time champ of that um (laughs) jeff Tweedy, i think is really funny between songs especially if you see him at a solo acoustic show uh he'll go on for a long time and it's almost like a stand-up comedy show at times he's like very funny um and carly you know i'm not gonna put her on that level yet but when i saw the show I thought she was really charming between the songs. And, you know, here in Minneapolis, they ended up playing at First Avenue downtown after being initially booked into a smaller club in St. Paul. And the place was, like, not sold out, but it was, like, pretty full. And I think they were, uh, I I think you know, the band and Carly, I think they were all, like, pretty excited about how many people turned out. Uh, Because, as we've said before, you know, you can pack a room in New York or L.A., a lot of music fans there but if you're doing it in minneapolis kansas city st louis places like that it really shows you're making inroads you could draw people throughout the country so good for wednesday i again i i appreciated her talking what do you think i'm gonna i'm, I'm giving it a yay yay talking I'm i'm pro
1: this has been a this has been something where i think i've made a complete 180 over the past couple of years because you know like you there was a time where stage banter was one of, you know, like that was part of the reason I would see a band live, especially if it's done well. But you know, of course, the pandemic broke people's brains. And now uh, fans in the audience tend to like have this thing where they're either like they feel like they're friends with the people on stage, or they see him as like a god. And uh, yeah, there's like nothing worse than like the people up front who feel entitled to banter along with the artist, like They'll make jokes that totally bomb or, like, run me over with a truck type stuff that stops the banter cold because the artist doesn't really know what to do with that. Um, And, you know, I don't think that a lot of artists have that Robert Pollard in them where they can, like, clap back and tell people, like, to kind of just shut the fuck up. Um, So, you know, especially at, like, that level of a venue – like um, where it's the, I don't know, 500 to 1000 cap room where there's still like some degree of crowd interaction. Like I saw Cloud Nothings a few weeks ago and I used to think they were like a pretty unremarkable live band because they just ripped through the songs and did nothing else, like no banter whatsoever. And I actually found it refreshing, you know? So um, with Wednesday, I feel like once they get to the Wilco level, you know, or at least one where like you can't hear, where it's like, not a crowd interaction like banter when it's like one person on stage is kind of doing their thing and there isn't a reaction. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm totally cool with that, but you know, I saw a fleet Foxes show like last year where people tried to do that new style of banter and it just stopped the show cold. It really took me out of it. So, um, I don't know. I think maybe we're going to have to, uh, we might have to just kind of go back to like a no banter policy, but generally speaking yay in practice kind of nay for now
0: we've now reached the part of the episode that we call recommendation corner where ian and i talk about something that we're into this week ian why don't you go first
1: all right so um you know it's been again i've said this like there, every other episode before, like I recommend an emo album, but um, it's been kind of tough to find ones that really have stuck in 2023. Um, it just doesn't seem like a lot of them have legs. Maybe it's just the people who would write about emo in the past are doing other stuff. But um, over the last week, I had come across uh, this band that I had been hearing mentioned every now and again, this band called Magazine Beach. Uh, they're currently touring with Origami Angel, and I saw you know, some trustworthy emo experts, Miranda Reinhardt Hugo Reyes, uh, saying it's a good record. And yeah, uh, I've heard a lot, their album, Constant Springtime. I mean, what's the truth in advertising right there. I've heard a lot of music like this over the past couple of years, where it sounds a little bit like early Tiger's Jaw or Lemuria or the more kind of pop side of 08 to 2011 emo revival. But, um, This one also puts in some like blast beats and there's like a 10 minute song at the end. So it just shows me they have a little bit more ambition and craft that leads me to maybe be more invested in what they do because look, you can find a billion records like this and the band's probably going to break up in a year uh, and maybe get like a note, like a track review in the alternative and that's about it. But I think I hear, I, I see some legs with this record and, you know, especially as uh, real summer starts happening in San Diego. It's not like 60 and gray for like the first 12 hours of the day. And then like 80 from four to six, I look forward to, uh, enjoying this one more. So magazine beach, constant springtime, even though it's more of a summer record, a uh, good record. All right. I want to talk about a band from Brooklyn. Uh, apparently
0: there's bands in Brooklyn now who knew, uh, huh. they're from...
1: <laughs> this band is, it's the new Philly. This band is called
0: <laughs> Palehound. Uh, they have a record out today called I have the bat. And, uh, Look, I'm not even going to like try to describe this record in flowery flowery language or be overly elaborate with it. I think the re- the, pl- the pleasures of this record are pretty straightforward. Basically, you have lots of slice-of-life vignettes. And I should say that the uh, singer-songwriter in this band, Ellen Kempner, describes their music as journal rock. I think that's a very good way of, of, of describing it because it does feel like just ripped from daily life type stories in these songs and the songs are set to like super catchy ninety sounding alternative rock that's it simple formula <laughs> hooky songs slice of life vignettes in the lyrics um i don't think it's super complicated i just put this record on and it gives me what i want lots of pleasure on this record uh and if that's the kind of thing you want i think you're gonna get it on this record Again, it's called Eye of the Bat. It's by Palehound. I'm going to say put this on on the patio. Good patio record. Uh, you're going to have a good time this weekend listening to this album. That about does it for this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash Indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.